Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we are in the midst of the Derek Chauvin trial, which is extremely triggering. I did ne- I'd never watched the whole video in and of itself uh, by itself. And now I'm basically being forced to watch the whole thing in pieces. And I'm also watching because what we've seen in the last in today and yesterday, witnesses who were nearby telling the cops, you are killing him. Let him go. Paramedics, fire, (laughs) fire people saying like, um, I need to call the police because the police are committing a crime right in front of me. Um, I just watched. An older man who first was telling uh, George Floyd, you can't win, just let it go. And he was clearly not posing a threat, not trying to resist. He's like, everything hurts. I'm through, like, whatever you want. And still, evil Chauvin is sitting there with his knee on the brother's neck. And his hands in his pockets. And even though his hands in his pockets convey an almost evil level of casualness to it, you can see that his foot, his left foot is flexed. He's putting as much pressure as he can on his neck with his knee. It's very, 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 very difficult to watch. You know, I have been taking breaks as I keep telling people to do um, on woke AF because I find this so incredibly distressing. Um, I did not realize until this week as we are listening to testimony, how many children were present and were front and center at watching a man's life be squeezed from him to watch these people, these innocent bystanders, these bouquet of bystanders as the prosecution referred to them as with such guilt and regret at not doing more. And I think to myself, what could you have done other than what you did, which was take out your phone and record Because it was evident that through the officer's treatment of this human being, of George Floyd, that anyone who would have stood in their line of eyesight would have put themselves in danger. Derek Chauvin had his hand on his can of mace to spray an EMT worker who was approaching 
to say, let me check and see if he has a pulse. Remove your knee, and he would not. And so when you look at this, it's not just the cruelty and the lack of humanity that you see in Derek Chauvin. He was getting off on the power that he had to to be God, to take someone's life from him because he could. The way that he looked into the cameras is how in history class, I remember in elementary school looking at the faces of white people as they are participating in the celebration of a lynching of a black body that was hanging from a tree behind them. Right, right. It's like, it's, it's, it's history repeating itself over and over and over again. And I tell you, the faith that I have in America right now is not even an ember of coal. The defense has let us know a little bit of their strategy. The officers were distracted. Oh, yes. By, by the, the angry crowd, mob. By the angry mob. There was an angry mob of children with a T-shirt that said love on it. They were so angry and shouting things at the police that they were unable to take care of George Floyd. You would think by that sort of argument, there would like 40, 50 people surrounding the police and the police felt like, oh, my God, there's a mob that's about to attack us. No, no, you there's about what four or five people on the sidewalk uh, as as three of you are on top of this man's body. It's not like he's gone into cardiac arrest and you can't pay attention to him because you're fighting off the horde that's coming at you. There's four or five people on the sidewalk who are pointing out you are killing him. You need to stop. Doing this from a social distance. The other thing that we're going to see is the character assassination of George Floyd, which is further traumatizing and triggering for us, but typical in America where the black man is going to be guilty until proven innocent, where the victim is going to be put on trial, where his quality of life will determine the humanity that should be ascribed to him. How did that happen? It, you know, what I, what I equate it to, Torre, in first of all, Judge Cahill allowing for George Floyd's criminal record to be admissible in court to me, is the same way in which prior to sexual assault policy that what a woman was wearing when she was raped was admissible in fucking court. Because the idea here is that had you not enticed, right, this man, then you wouldn't have gotten raped. So Black person, had you not been caught out being Black in the street, then nothing would have befallen you. But or or to say, here is George Floyd. He was a criminal, so he deserved to be put down. But the rationale here is this. Those police officers wouldn't have known what the fuck his record was when they picked him up from the cup 
uh, food place. They would have had no idea. Right. They weren't right. running his background. Right. They weren't running his record. They didn't pull up and say, oh, my God, this man is 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 some murderer that has a that has a bench warrant out for his arrest. And it says here he's violent. None of that right. is true. So just like we don't allow for women's attire to be admissible in court for rape, this anybody's record who is no longer here to speak on their own behalf because they are dead shouldn't be on fucking Look, trial. If Chauvin didn't know his criminal record at the time, then why are we talking about it now? This is not the reason why his knee was on top of him. He can't tell me that he continued to be afraid for his safety. You can't tell me that Derek Chauvin had the right to murder him because he had been a criminal in the past. That's certainly not you, that's certainly not the way that we do things. We don't want the police. We don't allow the police to be uh, judge, jury, and executioner. And whatever you say George Floyd did in the past, granted, Derek Chauvin's record is worse because he's a murderer. Because uh, he's a murderer, and also, Derek. Not only was Derek Chauvin not concerned with his own safety, because clearly he was cool, calm, and collected, he wasn't even concerned about the safety of his fucking sunglasses that didn't seem to falter on top of his head. So, like the the no the the continued notion that police can utter the phrase "I fear for my life" when you're the one that has a gun and are trained, and the rest of us who are unarmed are supposed to somehow remain calm, cool, and collected when you've gone through training and can't manage to do that is fucking ridiculous. But we place that on black people all the time. Right. Right. We're going to have to deal with the impact of fentanyl on George Floyd's body. Because surely the defense will bring that up as perhaps an explanation for why he died. I don't think that it makes any sense, but we'll see if this jury will fall for that. I'm still of the mind that Chauvin will be convicted because, number one, the video is too much. Most people, most defendants don't have this level of graphic video to overcome. And his defense team offered a deal in which he yeah. would do 10 years. Clearly, they think 10 years is less than they would have got, they would get going to trial. That tells me they are not confident, given the evidence in front of them, that they're going to be able to beat this at trial. I, I that's why I continue and, and I I obviously know the history and the difficulty of convicting police officers but the, but this one has this this unique situation in this very clear video of a slow killing um done in front I, of many many citizens and I think it's going to be hard for Chauvin to get out of you know, the reality is, is that I just don't even think like the fact that we are in a place in this country 
where we have all the video evidence, all the videos in the world of the way in which black people are treated by law enforcement. There were videos of the young black girl in nothing other than a bikini being thrown to the ground by a police officer and nearly strangled. Nothing happened to them. And so the assumption here is that somehow video is meant to save us. And at the end of the day, it's oftentimes used against us. I think what is working, what will work in this particular instance is that one, the the defense's uh, case is weak as fuck because the presumption that they have here is that the non-lethal amount of drugs that George Floyd had in his system, the presumption is that if in fact George Floyd had never come into contact with Derek Chauvin that day, then that somehow later on that day, he would have died, right? And there's no medical examiner. There's no person that would, there's a non-lethal amount of drugs in a system. And frankly, first of all, if we're going to use drugs as a way to demonize people, maybe we want to look at, I don't know, white America's love affair with opioids right now. That is a crisis as compared to the crack epidemic, which was placed on black people. They're using drugs as a way to demonize when this country is a drug addicted country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if I'm the prosecution, you wouldn't even be able to walk like walk halfway up to a a witness with some hot shit like that because it makes no sense. But the fact is, is that I would make them need to prove that George Floyd would have died later that day anyway. And he wouldn't have. Like, and also most Americans have some type of pre-condition of like heart disease. And especially if you're black and you live in a low-income area and all of these other factors that are a barrage of the system of white supremacy in which we live under and our healthcare falls under. And so I just, their case is flimsy at best, but the idea again, that video alone, this should be a one day trial. This shouldn't be gone on. This shouldn't be going on for weeks. Well, I think the length of it, at least what we've seen so far is valuable for the prosecution. They're taking it seriously. They're taking it slowly. They're putting every possible thing up on the table. Um, The emotional impact of person after person coming up and saying, this was very hard to watch. I feel tremendously guilty that I didn't do more. I felt like I was watching a murder. I called the police, you know, on and on and on. It's it is driving into you the emotional state of the people who are watching and more than a cold set of facts, you know, by, you know, some by, you know, a forensic person who could say, well, the the neck corroded artery like, no, this we are hearing. I saw this with my own eyes and it was extremely hard to watch because i knew what was happening and you know the defense has not yet been able to really even challenge any of the these witnesses so the first impression that jurors are getting is basically a group of people who are on the stand virtually crying about like i witnessed a murder you know I, yeah. and 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 they keep spoon feeding pieces of the video over and over and over, which uh, it's a—it's just so much to take in. Like I have to ask you, Torre, right? 
I'm a black queer woman in America comes with its own set of like atrocities, things that I'm fearful of, concerns that I have on a day-to-day basis. But as a black man, watching another black man have the life drained at him, knowing that you live in New York City, that you walk around, you know, like, how does it feel to see this, this witness, this, this older black gentleman just break down and talk about, I lost my mother and this man is calling out for his mother and like the pain there. I mean, to think about George Floyd calling out for his mother who has been dead for years is quite heavy. Um, it's very hard to watch. It's very triggering and traumatizing. And there's two levels of that, right? There's the the murder of George Floyd by police, which is something that I consciously know could happen to me or anyone like me any day. I know every single time that I see police officers near me, a situation could go haywire and some shit could happen. I know this. I look at them um, basically like, like, like you would look at like a, a wild animal that could snap at any second for no reason at all. Um, and I, you know, I want to walk clear around them to cross the street to, you know, be nowhere near them. I teach my kids like, don't you don't need to speak to them. You don't need to say hi to them. Like if you see them like cross the street, like don't be near. You know, you just it's a lottery ticket with your life every time you mm-hmm. walk near them. Mm-hmm. So there's the thing that actually happened on the street, which could happen to any black person at almost any time. But then there's also and 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 the George Floyd situation is is interesting because so often it's a vehicular situation that brings you into contact with police right as soon as you get in a car you are vulnerable uh to the police at right. every second this is nothing to do with that right this is just him moving around um through his community and this happened tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming, and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us 
a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now, until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. You know, I remember when Trayvon was murdered. And at the time, my youngest cousin was 17, maybe. I think he was maybe a year older than Trayvon. He's about six feet tall. Big, you know, black kid living in a majority white suburb out on Long Island. And it was at that moment that I became terrified and panicked of his existence. Right. Like I remember and I have I have written about this before when asked, you know, many years ago when I'm getting my my master's in early childhood education and folks were talking about their kids and wouldn't you, you know, or, or do you want to have kids? And I said, you know, yeah, you know, maybe um, I do, but I definitely know that I don't want a boy. And then having to unpack the reason for saying that I didn't want a boy, not because I don't love little black boys and because I don't love black men, no, but because the terror that I would have to live with on a day in and day out basis, I honestly did not think that my heart could take it. And then watching the trial of George Zimmerman and thinking about my own loved ones and how Trayvon literally could have been my little cousin walking in a gated community, walking by the country club in our town and then being like, you don't belong here, even though this is his neighborhood and this is where he grew up. And I'm like, I just don't get, I don't feel, I don't know how many videos and how many conversations that we have to have for white America to even understand that level of like fear and trauma that we carry with us on a regular fucking basis. I mean, you know, I had it in me before Trayvon, Trayvon just re traumatized each one re traumatizes you. Um, You know, I mean, think back to, you know, uh, Amadou Diallo and, you know, before that, I mean, you know, getting just the talk from my, my dad, as a teenager, um, you know, and the, the, the difficulty of watching Eric Garner, Michael Brown, all these, all these, you know, all these, these snuff films that live in our head that I can call up at any time. I can see John Crawford. I can see Philando Castile. I can see Alton Sterling. I can see Tamir Rice, you know, off the top of my head at any time. This is, you know, these are like little nightmares that live in your head all the time. Mm. So there's what happens on the street, but then there's also what consistently happens in the courtrooms where these, where, you know, the, the, the black person is put on trial and so often the murderer is able to escape and get away. And the message that your black life doesn't really mean that much is perpetuated. And it's it's extremely difficult to see that. 
over and over and, and over, over and over again. And it's like there's there's an ongoing cycle. Is that is that you know the, the video and a story of a crazy killing comes out while another one is on trial. You know, we get upset. Either we just get upset on social or in our own networks, or you know, if it goes too much, we go in the street. Meanwhile, another case is working its way through the system that doesn't get us any joy. The 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 killing rises to the level of of a trial or a grand jury proceeding that doesn't work out. Meanwhile, a new killing comes up, and it's this constant loop if you wanted to make people go crazy this would be the way to do it i mean it it, i i i believe that that sometimes is one of the points the pillars of white supremacy is to drive us fucking crazy is to make us believe and start to question ourselves and ask what did we do right like are we just cursed are we marked? Like, what the fuck have we done as Black people to incur this type of rage and violence and persistent evil for centuries? Like, literally, I was on the phone with one of my close friends this week, another Black man, and he's just like, what do you think we did? And he's like, and I'm not, he's like, I'm not asking that as like a, like, it's a real question, but at some point it's just like, what the fuck? Like, why does, I, why don't they ever fucking let up? I think it's important to not blame us for that. And to remember that um, white supremacy will do whatever it has to do to maintain its position, that it will not give up the throne without an absolute dogfight and that white privilege is self-multiplying that you don't mm. you know at this mm. point you could be a very nice person and think nice thoughts about black and brown people and not not have racist feelings and benefit constantly from white privilege thus perpetuating the supremacy of whiteness um you know i got a lot of attention this week for pointing out what happened with jimmy fallon and addison ray as as addison ray this little tiktok dancer is she racist no i don't think she's racist is jimmy fallon racist no i don't think jimmy fallon is racist the roots is his house banned? I don't think he's racist. I, you know, I've I've met Fallon on several occasions. I don't think he's racist, but they all perpetuated white privilege in thinking. Let's have a segment where this TikTok dancer comes on and does the popular tip TikTok dances. And Addison said, "Sure, I'll come to New York and do that with you." And within this conversation, the black girls who invented those dances and do them a thousand times better than Addison were erased and they yeah. didn't get the shine and the value out of an appearance on Jimmy Fallon and somebody could have said hey 
you should have them on too because they're the ones who created these dances. Um, but nobody said that. And, you know, like I said, Addison's 19. She's not studying critical race theory. She's doing TikToks, you know, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But she benefited from white privilege and never had an evil thought about black people while she did it. And no, but the fact is, is that she never had a thought, period. That's the fucking problem. Yeah, that's that to me is the problem. It's not so much as whether or not these people are racist or not. It's what James Baldwin said. They never fucking have to look at us. We know everything about white people. Right. How they fucking wash their hair, the type of fucking music that they listen to, the books that they read. Why? Because it's been mainstreamed and mainlined into our lives on a regular basis. But they never have to fucking look at us. They can look away or invisibilize us and pretend that we don't exist. You take our culture, you take our fucking food, our music, everything. Right. And discard all of the things that you don't want to deal with. You ask any fucking white person in this country. Oh, would you ever want to be black and live in America for a day, a week, a month? Every single one of them will tell you fucking no. Well, they, right? they, but then they on the might, same time, want to tell me, want to tell me that racism and the privileges that they benefit from don't exist. They might say yes because they don't know the pain, the fear, the anxiety. That you know, it would be like a Black Mirror episode, right? Like. Somebody says, yes, I'll be black for a week because it's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the club. We're going to have fun. This is going to be great. And then on the way home, they get stopped by the police and they get shot or some crazy shit happens. And they're like, yeah, this is being black, too. And like, I didn't realize it was this, too. Like, I just thought it was the fun part. And you see that all the time. They think that being black is fun. They don't realize there's this whole other side. And the fun wouldn't be as fun. If there wasn't the pain, right? The pain fuels the joy. Um, But they are hand in hand in our experience. We see, I see a tiny bit of, of daylight in that New York State just became the 16th state to make marijuana legal. They're going to expunge some records. They're going to, um, have the police no longer they're going to ban the police from stopping people um because of the smell of weed and we're going to have i mean the the war on drugs has been a critical problem within our community one of the critical problems along with the wealth gap in our community and I don't necessarily want more people to smoke weed. I don't mind if folks feel like they need to do that, but I don't want more people. But I want more people to be free from the war on drugs and the attack of the police, which is over-oppressive in our community. They are, we are over-policed in our community out of a search quite often for marijuana. And when we remove that, we can get we we have fewer black people catching felonies and misdemeanors and going into the system because of the smell because of the possession of marijuana that is a great thing yeah you know i want to applaud 
the, you know, New York legislature and the folks that have really been pushing for this and the activists that have been working to do this, that created probably one of the most comprehensive and progressive legalizations of marijuana that we have seen happen across now, I think, what is it? Is it 15 or 16 states now that have it? Where what is going hand in hand is not only the expunging of records of people who, mind you, this is zero tolerance. This was zero tolerance time when people were thrown in jail for a maximum, you know, minimum sentencing for a dime bag or a joint that was found on them and then ended up serving 10, 15, 20 years um, in prison for that. But also, they are going to be giving, providing, reinvesting 40% of... Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Of the um, money gained from the exorbitant tax that they are putting on marijuana, which is going to be at 13 fucking percent, um, back into the communities that have been most harmed by the war on drugs, which I think is incredibly important because there is not a bone in my body that was not screaming in rage Every single time I'm walking down the streets in New York and I'm seeing CBD and head shops and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm thinking to myself with the white faces that are dishing out this CBD creams and the, this, that, and the other thing, thinking about how many black and brown people are sitting under Rikers right now for shit that they're making money off of. Because as soon, right, as anything becomes legalized in this country that was used to penalize black people, white people will profit. Right. And so I appreciate this piece of legislation that the governor signed into law because it is about undoing the wrongs that have been done in this state. Now, I hear you. Um, I want to see the rest of the country make this move. And I think that we're going to start to see it. Look, part of what's happened here is that New York has lost a lot of money because of coronavirus. Yep. And. Between that and trying to figure out how do we begin to bring back the uh, tax revenue that was lost out of all this business being lost in coronavirus and also New Jersey legalizing. So now we're going to have all these potential tax dollars going across the river, across the bridge to New Jersey. Oh, no, no, no. We can't have that. So New York says, okay, we have to do it now. So New York does it. And then what other states will say, well, shit, we can't have New York Mm -hmm. taking that. And like, you know, so does Connecticut say like, we got to get in the game, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, you know, does the rest of New England does, you know, the rest of the tries to like, you know, there are other places that are going to have to start. And I think the South will probably be the last place that will come along. But as they are with most fucking things. (laughs) But other but other but more and more places um are going to have to start coming along um you know look like i said i i don't want more people smoking weed necessarily i don't care about that i want fewer people being arrested 
yeah. for smoking weed, for cited and jailed for smoking weed. The only way to make a serious dent slash end the underground marijuana uh, marijuana drug market in America is to have a legal drug market. We can't right. squish it. We can't attack it like uh, you know, like militarily. Um, you know, with the police, if that would have worked, we would have gotten rid of drugs a long time ago. That doesn't work. We can't do it. Um, but if there's a legal drug market to where people have a significant choice, the weed over there costs pretty much the same, if not less, uh, than the weed over here. You know, even though this guy is coming to my house, I don't have to worry about anything over here. It's legal. I have more choices. There's more transparency. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to see a level of, um, you know, being a connoisseur of marijuana, which many which many people are right. Like uh, you will see much like we've already, you know, witnessed with Colorado. The state didn't implode and, you know, hell didn't open up like little Nas X would have us, all, <laughs> you know, lap dancing on him. lap dancing on top of Satan. Um, that, that didn't do anything. Uh, so yeah, states are broke. The federal government doesn't have enough money to bail everybody out. And so here comes in the weed crusader, you know, to make America right again. I've talked to a lot of people who said, oh, I don't smoke weed because it makes me fall asleep, which, uh, okay. Sativa. Right. Okay. Okay, Life together. But here's the thing. You were presented a jar that said weed. If I just gave you a bottle and said wine, you would probably be like, I don't like that thing they call wine. If I'm like, hey, there's all these different kinds of varieties of red and white, California, Europe, etc. Like there's different things to try. I hate Zinfandel, but Syrah and Merlot and Cabernet, I like you a lot. Hate Zinfandel? Oh. God, it's disgusting. What are you, a terrorist? Pinot Noir? Um, Ugh, gross. But, you know, certain... Okay, so we're not doing a wine tasting show because you're awful. (laughs) But go on. (laughs) If you like Zinfandel, I have to question your choices in life, Danielle. However, the point (laughs) is that we understand the varieties of wine and I've been able to taste my way through the different varieties. And I understand I like California more than Europe. I like red more than white. I like this red more than that red. There's an equal, if not greater, number of marijuana strains. And like, yeah, yep. some will put you to sleep and some will not. Some will have you um, having a body high. Some will have you having a head high. There's all different sorts of experiences that you can have. And, you know, to bring, to bring that out from the shadows and allow people to be connoisseurs and to be transparent and above ground and have a nice person explain to you, hey, here's the difference between this plant and this plant, and you might like this and not that, that will go a long way in allowing a lot of people to experience what's really good about marijuana and feel better about themselves, their their life, their you know they have less anxiety, all these sorts of things. The notion that it's a gateway drug was long ago dismissed. Um, I think this is a valuable thing 
in terms of taxation and in terms of just making Americans feel better on a day-to-day basis. And how about, oh, I don't know, how many remedies can come from mental health issues, from disease with the use of marijuana, as opposed to pharmaceuticals uh, like Oxycontin that you can become addicted to and then end up dead or in rehab with. There's a reason why they wanted to ban marijuana. There's a reason why the alcohol lobbyists were some of the biggest lobbyists against marijuana, as well as like the pharmaceutical companies. Because if you're using this, you're not getting hooked on their shit, right? And the thing that we have always known to be true is that we don't kill nobody, right? It doesn't send anybody into overdose in the hospital. It doesn't cause you know, vehicular homicide in the same way that fucking drinking and driving does Come or on. being high on Oxycontin and then becoming a meth head or like a, a, a heroin addict because you can no longer get your doctor's prescription. Like there are reasons why people have not wanted marijuana to be legal and none of it has to do with it being a fucking gateway. Right. Um. Thank you. Yeah. For listening to Democracy Ish, I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And I guess we'll be back next week since. Uh... I mean, we're back, folks, but you know, as I say, hang on, just keep hanging on, burn some fucking sage. <laughs> Maybe if we all collectively did that, this country would get its act together. Maybe. Pray about it. Pray about it.